Welcome to the Foundry Church Podcast, helping you to forge a lifelong reliance on God. To find out more about the Foundry Church or how to get involved, visit us at thefoundrychurch.com. Second, but first, I want you to picture this, all right? It's a beautiful Saturday afternoon, and Christina and I were sitting in our living room, and we're watching football, right? Of course, it's in the fall, and Christina, she looks over to me. She looks over to me, and she asks me to go into the kitchen and to get her a drink, right? like five whole steps, right? And so I, I politely decline. I definitely did not roll my eyes, right? I didn't say absolutely not. And I also for sure did not say I don't see this playing out in my future. I didn't, I didn't say that. Now, with that, right, she sat up and she said, Andrew, I am so tired. Can you please uh, do this for me? And so with that, I, I, I looked at Christina with the most kindness and sympathy and empathy that I could muster. And I said, Man up. Man up. You're not tired, right? You can do this. I believe in you. I want you to achieve this goal for yourself. You can do this. Man up, right? You're the most patient woman in the history of the world. (laughs) Now, either, either way, right, it reminds me of what we're talking about today. Go ahead and take a look, right? It's about womaning up. Womaning up. Is that how you said? Womaning up. Our squad goal. Right? That's what we want to be a part of. It's, it's what we're striving to be, right? This, this goal for ourselves and for others that are around us to be in the family of God. Now, in the first week of this series, a couple weeks ago, we took a look at how to join the squad. How to be a, a part of the squad of God. How to become a child of God. Right? How to be a part of the greatest squad. God in this room, we're watching online, right? The, the men and I, we had, a, we had a chat about what it means to show ourselves a, a man. Right? As, as David said to his son Solomon, right? he said to be strong, show yourself a man, and take charge of the Lord our God. And so this week, we're actually going to kind of flip the tables a little bit. And this week, we're going to, if, if the foundry heard from my wife Christina, another woman of God, right? And so with that, I'm going to, Christina's going to take 20 minutes or so, and she's going to speak to the women of the foundry. Now, men, all right, listen, all right, I want all eyes up here, right? This is not a chance for us to, to check out, right, to, to take a, a mid-morning nap here, right? This is a chance for us to lean in, right? This is an opportunity, like we talked about last week, to take charge of what the Lord has called you to, right? So if you're, if you're married... Right? If you have a girlfriend, if you have a daughter, if you someday think you might have one of those things, or, or you think someday uh, you might actually know of a lady, right, of a woman, this is our chance to learn how to best support her and to spur her on toward the greatness of God. To spur her on to what God has called her to. Right? This is not our chance to to check out, right? This is our chance to to lean in, to to share this information, as our mission says, to guide people to forge a lifelong reliance on God. Right? So that's our opportunity. Now, with all that said, I want to welcome my wife, Christina, to come up here and talk about being a woman of 
Kai. Thank you. I think I'm on. I'm not used to this, but um, thank you all so much. Thank you, Andrew, for that introduction. Um, <laughs> and thank you guys for trusting me with this task of talking about what it means to be a woman of God. I want to start out by saying that I really just love women in the family of God. Um, I haven't always been this way. My father was a football coach, so I kind of grew up around men, around guys. And in fact, up until college, all of my best friends were men. I didn't understand the greatness of having a group of women around you until I got to college, and I lived with seven other women um, who encouraged me, who built me up, um, and who laughed with me and cried with me. There was a lot of crying with eight women in a room, but because of that, I learned the, the value and the amazing nature of a group of women. And I believe, because of those women, that there are gifts and talents and abilities that us ladies have been given that men have not been given. And I love the unique image of God that we each bring when we step up to the table with others in the kingdom of God, or the God squad, as we've been calling it. I just love that when you get a group of women together, no matter their background, no matter their color or their creed, no matter if they work in the workforce or they work at home, stay at home, or they're somewhere in between, when you get a group of women together, there's always just a little bit of magic in the air. When women are together, exciting things happen. I think it's probably why we always go to the bathroom together, because you just never know where or when something exciting is going to happen, am I right? <laughs> when I think about women, I think about the magic bringers. We're the ones who can turn a house into a home. We're the ones who can take a government-given classroom and turn it into this magic wonderland of learning and excitement. And women can take a group of people who just by happenstance are stuck together in cubicles and turn them into a family. When women enter the equation, wonderful and beautiful things happen. So talking about great women and talking how to, about how to be the best women, women of God, well, that was an exciting challenge. And thank you so much for letting me do this. Let's dive in. So women enter God's story pretty early on in the story, just like Andrew said. In the beginning, God created. He started with the light, and it was good. And it kept getting better. He created the land and the sea and the birds and the fish, and it kept getting better. And then in the culmination of creation, he created Adam. And then he put Adam to work. And fairly quickly, God said, this place has become all work and no fun. I need to do something about this. And so if you'll look in Genesis chapter 2, you'll see what he did. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, it says this, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. 
So God looked at the earth and said it was good, but he said, I think I can do better. And he created women. Amen? One commentary put the creation of women like this. Man being made last of the creatures as the best and most excellent of all. Eve's being made after Adam and out of him puts an honor upon that sex as the glory of man. And this is my favorite part. If man is the head, then woman is the crown. Come on, that's good. I think God holds a special place in his heart for the women in his family. I think he holds a special place for our role in the kingdom of God. And that word in the verse we just read, as helper, I think that really signifies and clears up what that role is. So I want to break it down really quickly. In your translation, it might say helpmate. Some even say help meet, our said helper. But all of those translations come from two original Hebrew words. And those words are azar and konegdo. And if we look at those words, we will see the role of women come jumping off the page. First, with Azar, it is found 21 times in the Old Testament. Two of those times, it is used to describe women. Both of those are found in the creation story. Three of those times, it is used to discuss Israel's allies in battle. And then a whopping 16 other times it is used to describe God himself. And usually, as he is fighting with Israel in battle, alongside them. So in reality, that word translated as help, well, it fits closer to ally and war. Or as I like to say, co-warrior. That is the role of women. We are co-warriors. We, we are standing shoulder to shoulder with men of God in the fight for his kingdom. That is our role. And if you add to it the word that accompanies Azar, konegdo, which means in front of him, opposite him, or corresponding to him, we get this picture of two people fighting side by side equal in their role and in their power, but different. A great visual representation of the word konegdo would be two wings on one bird. They are not the same, but they are equal. They correspond to each other, and both are required for flight, but they are not identical. In other words, the created purpose of women, the goal of our lives, it is not a lesser role, but it is one of fighting alongside true men of God on the front lines in the battle for the kingdom of God. We have a different role to play, yes, but a lesser role? Absolutely not. I like to say it like this, the family of God cannot succeed without women any more than a bird can fly with one wing. 
Let me say that again. The family of God cannot succeed without women any more than a bird can fly with one wing. Our role as women in the family of God, our role as women in the squad of God is equal to and just as important as a man of God. We are co-warriors in the battle. So let's fight. And let's fight with strength and valor. And over the next couple of minutes, I hope that I can explain to you how to fight, explain to you what our role in the family of God looks like when we're fighting. And to do that, I'm going to talk about one of my favorite lesser-known women in the Bible. And if you are able, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Acts. We will be in the 16th chapter. Now, if you don't have your Bibles, feel free to use the Bibles and the chairs in front of you. Those are for you. If you don't have one, feel free to take it home with you. If you know someone who doesn't have a Bible, take it, give it to them. You can use it as an invitation for a discussion. You can use it as an invitation for church. Just use it. Or if you're more comfortable, you can download our Foundry Burke app. All you have to do is click on the Bible tab, and this passage will be the first one that pulls up. We're going to be jumping around a little bit, but let's start in the book of Acts. And while you're turning there... I'm going to give you a little context. Around the year 50 AD, Paul is beginning his second missionary journey. And to start off this journey, he's going to be returning to a number of cities that he had to be in on his first missionary journey. So, and scholars say that at this beginning of this second journey, those churches that he started in his first are around five years old. So he's just kind of coming back around, checking on things, making sure everything's going well. When I read that, I thought of when my husband and I were first married and we first moved into our very first home, we had set it up, and my parents came to visit. Now they claim that they were coming to visit just to see us, but I really think that they were just checking in to make sure all of their parenting had kicked in and I was doing the right things. That's what Paul is doing. When we turn to Acts chapter 16, we will find a missionary who's checking in on his work. We're actually going to start right at the first verse of chapter 16, and it says this. Paul also came to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. And Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. Now, if you blinked, you may have missed the woman, woman we're going to be talking about today. We will be talking about Timothy's mother. A little bit about Timothy. As you could tell from what we read, Timothy lived in a house divided. And I'm not talking about a family where the dad roots for the University of Michigan, and the mom roots for the honorable and noble Ohio State Buckeyes. I'm not even talking about a family where half of them root for the Washington football team and half of them root for the Cowboys. I don't even know how you would do that. We're talking about something even deeper than that. We're talking about a truly divided family. It says that Timothy's mother was a Jewish woman who was a believer. And this means that she grew up 
Jewish. And then Jesus came into the picture and turned her life around, and she became a believer, follower of the way, as they were called back then. She chose to believe. Timothy's father did not. He was a Greek. So what this really means is that in a world where being a Greek afforded you some privileges that a Jewish person would not have, and in a world where just being a man gave you some privileges that being a woman didn't have, and being the head of the household gave you some privileges that other people didn't have, despite all of that, Timothy's mother still believed. And this is where we learn our first lesson. Women of God are thermostats. You see, from an outside perspective, if you were to look at Timothy's life, you would see that it seems like Timothy's mom has no power. She has no power in her family, no power in her marriage, no power in her circumstances. But what the story of Timothy shows us is that women of God have the power to change their atmosphere like a thermostat. In our house, because I am married to a man from the Upper Peninsula, or as I like to call it, Canada adjacent, we keep our home thermostat temperature set to a balmy 68 degrees Fahrenheit. Oh, it gets worse. At night, we set it down to 65 degrees and have fans going, and and I'm covered in blankets. I think I deserve a special place in heaven because of this. But all of this is to say that if you really wanted to see an angry Pastor Andrew, you would come to our home and you would set the thermostat to 71 degrees. Anger would not even begin to describe it, really. 71 degrees for Andrew is like a sweaty death. (laughs) He would be angry. He would be grumpy. He would be sweaty. And if I'm honest, he would be a little bit smelly. But that is what thermostats do. They don't just change the temperature, but they change the feeling of a room. And that is the truth of women of God, too. We have the power to turn up and down the temperature of our surroundings just by the way we interact with the world, the way we interact with the people around us, the way we forge our life on God. For instance, have you ever come home from a horrible day of work, and you're just so excited, you're going to get home, put your feet up, maybe have a glass of wine, it's going to be great. And you walk in, and the first thing you see is all the dishes are still in the sink, even though you told your child to do the dishes and put them away. (laughs) And you think, you know what? I'm a woman of God. I'm going to have some grace. I'm just going to walk right on by those. (laughs) And then you see that the laundry is still in the basket, even though you told them to put their clothes away. And then you turn the corner and you see the trash that is somehow now as tall as you because you asked someone to take it out two days ago, and it still hasn't been taken out. Andrew Keeney. Now, listen, when all of this happens, 
Do you scream? Do you point fingers? Do you complain? Do you just yell, nobody has it as tough as I have it? (laughs) Does that change the temperature of your house at all? Or what about when you're at work and you get a call from the boss, I'm going to have another team building meeting. (laughs) I heard that. (laughs) You haven't had enough team building. (laughs) When your coworkers hear this and they start complaining, do you join in? You join the Zoom chat or whatever. This is the worst thing ever. This is horrible. Such a waste of our time. Or, now this is just a hypothetical, you get another letter from Fairfax County Public Schools about a change in the COVID policy, and you're going to have to wear masks differently. After school activities have changed. All of this is going on, and you scream, this place is run by a bunch of idiots. I don't know how this is going to work. This is all hypothetical. No one in this room has ever done this. (laughs) But here's the truth. What if you did something different? What if you reacted a little differently? Or as Andrew says in our home, what if you responded instead of reacted? You see, women of God, we're not thermometers that just change because of the temperature around us. We are thermostats that change the temperature around us? What if when you got home and you saw the mess, you paused, you took a breath, you gathered your kids around and you say, how was your day? Maybe they had a horrible day and you wouldn't have known that because all you were doing was screaming. Would that change the temperature of your home? What if when they called yet another team building meeting, and your coworkers started complaining, you changed the subject. And you talked about how great it is to be a part of that team. Or if it's not great to be a part of that team, you just change the subject entirely. (laughs) Or you bring donuts. Nothing changes the atmosphere of a meeting like a donut, am I right? (laughs) Or what if when you got that email from Fairfax County Public Schools, you pulled your family together and you said, man, it must be really hard to be a superintendent, to be a teacher, to be a principal right now. Why don't we pray for them? What if instead of letting the circumstances change you, you changed the circumstances? I mean, just look at Timothy's mom. She could have complained about an unsupportive husband. She could have talked bad about her husband to her son. She could have let the situation she found herself in shape her life and shape her child's life. But like the co-warrior that she was, she fought against the situation and the temperature of her family. She was a thermostat. She taught her son about Jesus, and she showed him how to be a true believer. She was a thermostat so much so that when Paul came looking and said, I need someone to go with me on another missionary journey, the entire community thought so much of the temperature of her home and so much of the character of her son that they said, Paul, you need to look at this Timothy guy. He's got it together. You you need to take him with you. Timothy's mother did not let the mess of the world she was living in, the mess of an imperfect family, the mess of life itself, impact the temperature around her. She chose instead to set the tone, and that is what women of God do. 
And if you'll turn with me to 2 Timothy, you're going to see how we do that. So we'll be in 2 Timothy. This is also a New Testament book. We're going to be in the third chapter of 2 Timothy, starting in verse 14. It says this, But as for you, you being Timothy, Paul is writing this letter to Timothy. He says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So Paul did choose Timothy. Timothy did go, he did plant a church, he did start a church, and things were not going great. (laughs) Um, There were some squabbles in the church. And so Paul is writing to Timothy and encouraging him, and he's saying, listen, I know things are tough. I know things are a little messed up right now. The world is not what you would want it to be. Does that sound a little bit familiar? (laughs) Paul's saying, you know, Timothy, people are going to oppose you. People are not going to believe in what you believe in. People will be more concerned with themselves than anybody else. But But, as Paul reminds Timothy, remember what your mother taught you, the scriptures. She taught you the powerful word of God. And that's the second thing that we can learn from Timothy's mother, that women of God are women of the word. You see, the only way the only way that we can be a thermostat in a world that we live in, in the chaos that we live in, is to know the truth that is found in these pages. Paul is encouraging Timothy, cling to the truths and the promises of God that you found in Scripture, just like your mother did and just like she taught you. Ladies, Please hear me when I say this. Do not underestimate the power of knowing the word of God. We are called to be warriors who stand strong in the fight. And our weapon, as it says in Ephesians 6, is the sword of the word of God. Now, I'm sure most people in here, they, they like their Bible, <laughs> Some of you read it all the time, but I think the vast majority of us wish that we read it more. But ladies, this is our weapon. And if we don't know how to use it, we will not win. We have to use it. I pray that it would never be said of the women of the foundry that they undervalued the power of the word of God. Because when we faithfully read this, we don't just dabble in it, but we faithfully read it and we read it all, it will change us by the power of God's Spirit. We'll be changed when we read the book of the laws in the Old Testament and the prophets. We're going to be changed when we read about God's mercies and God's judgments. 
We will be changed by the passages that don't really sit right with us when we first read them and the passages that as soon as we read them, they make our hearts glad. Heck, I believe that if we faithfully read the Bible, we will be changed by the book of Numbers. I'm just claiming it right now. (laughs) Even the book of Numbers can change us. I don't think that we should just stick to the passages that look really good on shiplap framed above our fireplace mantle. (laughs) I think we got to go deeper, guys. We've got to dig deep into the vast power that is found in the passages of the scriptures. And when we do that, we will be able to be a thermostat. When Andrew and I were going over this message together, I... um, We got to this part, and he looked at me, and he said, I think you should change the wording of this scripture, or this point. It shouldn't be women of God or women of the word. It should be women of God are gold diggers. That was the same face I made. I'm like, what are you talking about? (laughs) And he said, you know, like they're always digging for the gold and the word of God. And once I got past the dad joke of it all, I said, well, he's not really wrong, Um, listen what it says in Proverbs 2. It says, my child, listen to what I say and treasure my commands. He's talking about the scriptures. Listen to what he says and treasure them. Tune your ears to wisdom and concentrate on understanding. Cry out for insight and ask for understanding. Search for them as you would for silver. Seek them like hidden treasures, then you will understand what it means to fear the Lord and you will gain knowledge of God. So I guess women of God are more like treasure hunters than gold diggers, but the truth remains, (laughs) if we take up this book, if we dig deep into this book and we find its truths and God's commands and God's promises, we can withstand anything that comes our way. When Jesus was tempted by the devil, by Satan himself, every single time he was able to turn him away because he knew the scripture. When Paul is counseling Timothy about the people in his life who were trying to break down the ministry of God, Paul told him, stand up, fight with the scripture, just like your mother did. Why would we assume that we're any different? Why would we assume that we can do it without the scripture? Why? Women of God, we can hold up the sword of God against any enemy if we know how to use it. When your list of things to do is getting overwhelming and anxiety is starting to creep in, you can stand tall and fight back by saying what it says in John 16, 33. I have told you these things so that in me, you may have peace. In this world, you, you will have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. And when your crazy neighbor starts spreading another rumor about you and your family and you think, the next time I see him, I don't know if I'm going to be able to hold back, you can say to yourself self and said what it says in Romans 8:31 what then shall we say in response to these things if god is for us who can be against us
or when your husband has been assigned to yet another posting so far from home. You get to stand up. You get to fight back. And you get to speak truth into the situation by saying, Joshua 1, 9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord, your God, will be with you wherever you go. And when you are tired and you are weary and you are worn and you have nothing left to give to anybody, nothing for your family, for your job, for your neighbors, you have nothing. You can fight by quietly speaking the words of Zechariah 4, 6, not by my might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Women of God who are women of the word have an amazing power, and it's right here. It's right here in our hands. We just need to read it and apply it and fight with it. And then with all of that in our lives, we get to do one more thing that Timothy's mother shows, up, shows us, and it's in Second T- Timothy as well. Just turn the page forward. We're going to be chapter 1. Second Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 3, it says, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you, Timothy, constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I might be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. And for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So the faith of Timothy's mother didn't just change her family situation through the power of knowing God's word. It did one more thing. It left a legacy. And that's the third thing that women of God are or do. Women of God live a legacy. You know, these verses that we just read, they're just Paul's reading to Timothy. They're just the beginning of the letter. Most of us would just start, dear Timothy. But Paul (laughs) says, I'm writing this letter, and I'm thinking of Timothy, and when I think of him, I can't help but think of his mother. I just, I can't help it because of the legacy of the faith of hers and the life of her son. You know, every time someone who is a friend of Andrew's father meets Andrew for the first time, they always inevitably start by saying, you look just like your dad. And then he like taps his head because his dad is bald. And I think subconsciously he's afraid he's going to go bald. But (laughs) And they really do look alike. But I wondered as I read this passage, what if the first time someone met Andrew, they said, whoa, you have the faith of your mother. I see it in you, all around you. That is a legacy. This passage is the first time that Timothy's mother is named. Eunice. Not a great name. Sorry. But (laughs) she's named. (laughs) And I think it's because Paul couldn't leave her nameless anymore. Her legacy was too great to not have a name tied to it. Her life was lived so faithfully 
that people could not help but see her life and those who lived their life just around her. And it wasn't just her life, it was her mother's life as well. Eunice and Lois lived a legacy, and we have the chance to do the same thing. And our legacy doesn't just have to be our children. Please hear me when I say this. Your legacy does not just have to be your children. If it was, every single woman would be called to be a mother, and we're not. Notice none of my points were women of God are really good wives. Well, we should be, yes, but that's not our highest calling. And I didn't say women of God are really good moms. We should be, but that's not our highest calling. Our highest calling is to live a legacy that would lead people to Christ. That is our highest calling. Imagine, for example, if your boss came into your office and saw the people you supervised, and he couldn't help but see the grace of God, the love of God, the hard work of Jesus Christ, all because you were their supervisor. He saw Christ in your legacy, in your employees. That is what living a legacy looks like. It doesn't mean living perfectly, but it does mean doing your best day in and day out, to live a life worthy of those you are leading, those who follow you. Living a legacy is, as Eugene Peterson puts it, long obedience in the same direction. Living a legacy means putting one foot in front of the other every day, even when it feels like you can't. It means that, that you keep showing up in the lives of your family, in the lives of your coworkers, in the lives of your neighbors. It means that you keep on praying, you keep on reading, you keep on singing praises. It means that even when there are days when you feel like the only thing that you will be able to accomplish is just not giving up, will you do that? Because then you have lived that day and that is a legacy. Women, we are fighting the fight of perseverance, of selflessness, of hopefulness for tomorrow, for an eternity. And every day we choose to fight for tomorrow. And it's not because we treasure our things on earth, it's because we treasure the God who gave us those things. You fight through the imperfection because the perfect God of the universe is with you in the fight. And he has redeemed the work you are doing for his glory and his honor and his kingdom. You live your life forged on God in obedience to him so that those who are following you, those who God has called you to lead into battle, will have a legacy to follow. You live a legacy so that you can say, as Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. That is what a woman of God is. That is what she does. She is a thermostat. She is a woman of the word. And she is living a legacy. She is Timothy's mother in a new generation. She is a warrior in the family of God. I want to wrap up today by talking about two more women. These women are my Lois and my Eunice. I'm going to start by um, showing you a picture of my grandmother. Isn't she cute? (laughs) This is my grandmother. Her name is Mary Lee. 
but to everyone in my lifetime who met her, she was just grandma. Um, she was smart. She was hysterical. Uh, she was a prayer warrior who taught me how to pray for my pastor and taught me how to pray for the leaders in my church. And she is one of the greatest examples of a thermostat that I have ever known because grandma was in the word of God regularly. And I know this not because she sat out on her front porch and said, I'm going to read my Bible now. <laughs> I know this because every time I talked to her, it came up. Every problem was answered with a scripture. Every great thing that happened in my life was rejoiced with a scripture. It was a part of every conversation. And it's because of that she was a great thermostat. I want to give you an example. So in college, like most of us, I was trying to find myself how I was going to be, who I was going to be. And so my friend group changed a lot. I added people, took some people away, if you know what I mean. <laughs> so they changed a lot. But as a promise to my grandparents, I was told to visit them as much as possible. It was the closest I'd ever lived to them. So every semester, two times or three times a semester, I would bring whoever my friend group was at that time to the farm. Sometimes it was just me and my roommate. One time it was me and seven other people. Bless them for that. <laughs> but every time we came, no matter the group, no matter how the car ride was down, because sometimes it was a mess, as soon as we got there, as soon as we crossed the threshold of the house, the feeling changed. Grandma would hug every single person, even if she'd never met them, and the first thing she would always say is, you are my grandkid now. You want to go for a walk? I know all the best places to walk. Let me show you. You want to talk? I have a counseling degree. I'm very good at listening. <laughs> you want a snack? I'll show you the ice cream. I made cookies. Let's make a thing. It'll be great. Whatever you need, just let her know, unless it's turning on the TV. The poor thing could never turn the TV on. She had directions next to the remote. Still couldn't do it. Bless her heart. Uh, but <laughs> everything else she could do, no matter the situation, no matter the group of people, the feelings we brought, the concerns we brought, the homework we brought... Whatever came in the house with us stopped at the threshold because grandma changed the thermostat and she made us feel a complete ease and like we could rest. And now another woman of God. This is my mama. Um, her name is Mary Alice. Mary's run in my family. Um, <clears throat> she's probably the smartest person I know, and I'm just now noticing that Andrew wrote other than Andrew next to that. <laughs> um, so I digress. My mom is still one of the smartest people I know. Um, she has more degrees than anybody has business having. And then on top of that, she devoted her life to education. She was a teacher, has since retired. She taught all over the place. She even once, for a while, taught in a women's prison. Uh, but she spent most of her educational career at vocational schools, teaching home economics, teaching fashion design, all those sorts of things. She ended her career at an inner city school in Covington, Kentucky, called Holmes High School. Um, while she was there, the teen pregnancy rate at the school started to rise. And so the administration said, we've got to do something about this, because with teen pregnancy also comes teen dropout, usually. And so they decided to open a daycare on campus that these teen moms could put their children in. 
And the hope was that if their kids were in this daycare, they would get a degree, then they could get a better paying job, and it would help with the poverty level. And as they thought of this, they said, well, we need to put some restrictions around this. And one of the ideas they came up with was, let's have a parenting class. Let's teach these girls some parenting skills. Only problem was they didn't have anyone to teach it. And in walks my mother, Mary Alice Parrish, and she says, sign me up. And for those of you who are not in education, starting a brand new class is a lot of work. You have to write an entire curriculum. You have to write lesson plans. You have to create activities and homework. And then add on top of that that all of your students are going to be middle and high school students who are pregnant or just had a baby. That's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot of responsibility. But that is what living a legacy is. She did it. I called her, asked her how long she had done it because I couldn't remember. She did it for over 20 years. Asked her how many kids, she said, Whew, too many to count, and sometimes there were some repeats, but <laughs> it's still to, her day, to this day her favorite class that she ever taught. Wasn't easy. In fact, I remember most of the time it was very, very difficult. But girls would walk into this classroom pregnant or had just had a baby. Most of the time they were scared, really angry, sometimes confused. They were more often than not lacking a bit of serious parenting knowledge, um, didn't even know how to change a diaper most of the time. But they left feeling educated, loved, and with some hope. They left with the opportunity to live a legacy of their own. And as I call the band back up, I'm going to show you one more picture. This is the women in my family. Um, standing next to me is my sister, Diana, and I could talk about her for 20 minutes and the amazing woman of God she is, but I will not do that. Um, I wanted to show this picture because my mother and grandmother left a legacy of, yes, me and my sister, Diana. But this is not the full picture. If you want the full legacy picture, you're going to need a picture as big as this room because every kid that walked into my grandmother's farmhouse is her legacy. Every kid that walked into my mother's classroom is her legacy. Every pastor that was prayed for by my grandmother, every student that excelled, got a better education, and is now providing for their family is my mother's legacy. It's not just me. It doesn't have to be just your kids. Some of you are like, I never want to have children in my life, and that's okay. You can still be an amazing woman of God. You can still be a thermostat. You can still be a woman of the word, and you can still live a legacy. So let's do it. Let's stand and worship together.